Welcome to another episode of My Hope is Built On with your hosts, David and Dan Ziegler, a show about real people with real stories answering the question, what is your hope built on? May this week's episode bring you some hope. Welcome again to another episode of My Hope is Built On. And once again, uh, we have another amazing guest, uh, Levi Dade. Uh, Levi and I um, have met through a, a mutual platform where people can uh, reach out and collaborate with one another. And so uh, uh, we had a chance to talk and I'd like to consider uh, Levi a new friend of mine. And, uh, and so uh, we're excited to be able to come to you today and share with you uh, and get to learn a little bit more about Levi and, and where his hope lies. But before we do that, Levi, I'm just going to ask you if you could just share a little bit about yourself so that the audience gets to know you a little bit more personally. Yeah, sure. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's, um, it's a pleasure. Um, it's an honor. Um, so just happy to be here and, and uh, be with your audience. But um, my name's Levi, and I've been born and raised in Mississippi my whole life, basically. Um, live in North Mississippi. And I go to school at um, Washita Baptist University in, in Arkansas, and I'm going into my junior year this year, and I major in Biblical Studies and Theology. So basically, I'm just going to get my um, my bachelor just in you know, what you would go into if you were going into the ministry. And then from there, I plan in the future to go to seminary, get my master's, and eventually a doctorate. And I would love to do... Christian apologetics full time because yeah. I'm an apologetics nerd, um, and so that's what's really my passion is is geared toward, and that's what God has on my heart for for what I want to do for His kingdom. So, oh, very good. Well, we're excited, and we're excited to learn more about it as you start to progress and get further along. You failed to mention though that you already have a podcast where <laughs> you actually do apologetics right now. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, started a podcast. And last summer, actually, but the idea for it really, really started back in March of 2019. But I wanted to do some praying about it, and just because you know, I wanted to, I wanted to really commit to it and not just do it half-heartedly. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think that it would be what it is now. I didn't think that I would be as dedicated as I am now. <laughs> but uh, God's d- been doing amazing things. The uh, the podcast is uh, Defending Christianity podcast. Um, and also have a, a blog with it, Defending Christianity blog. And uh, we basically, I just get biblical scholars from, you know, wherever in the country who um, usually in apologetics, but also other things like theology in general, where you can kind of tie that in. And I just interview them on a certain topic or um, argument against Christianity and see what, what the uh, evidence for the Christian claim is. And um, I just I want to give the church the information and the resources to be able to communicate with others when they're engaging why they believe in Christianity um, by not just pointing at the Bible because while it is a good thing, God doesn't limit us to only saying it's in the Bible therefore it's true. But He's also given us evidence outside of the Bible to confirm that with others who don't believe in the Bible, right. so that they can maybe have um, more confidence when when they do look at it themselves. Sounds good. Well, I'm excited. Uh, well, you know, I have a couple of questions that I typically ask on this show, and everybody's getting used to it now, I'm sure. But uh, the first question I have for you today is, when you think of hope, what does hope mean to you? Well, if we're just talking about just in, in an everyday usage of it, usually mm-hmm. we 
like it's like a wish or a desire for something. Um, so I I hope that my mom gets the iPad that I want for my birthday. You know, <laughs> um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. You see, this kind of hope mean is its strength is in the um, strength of the person's desire. Uh, doesn't mean that it's going to be fulfilled. When we talk about a biblical hope, however, it's the opposite. Um, it's the confidence of something that God has already promised. And so its strength isn't in my desire. It's in God's faithfulness and um, ability to fulfill his promise. And so it's a it's an assurance that we know it's going to happen because of who God is mm-hmm. and because of his faithfulness. And, and the hope is in him, not in me. So I think that would be a good definition of biblical hope or a good summation of it. I can go in deeper if you want or expand on that. No, no, no. So you just can you just rephrase that definition one more time, just for yeah. So a, a biblical hope is the assurance of something that's promised, um, and we can be assured of it because of God's faithfulness that He will do what He says He'll do. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. So I'll ask this as a follow-up question later, but uh, um, but um, the second part of that question then is and then is what is your hope built on then? Mm. Well, my hope is built on Jesus Christ, but it's not just because the Bible says so. Um, it's ultimately because an event occurred, and it's the resurrection of Jesus. Um, our our whole faith would be in vain if the resurrection didn't happen, as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15. So the fact that Jesus is who he says he was, and he did what he said he'll do, is where I put my hope in, mm-hmm. um, because Jesus proved um, that he was God by his by what he said and what he did. Um, in the Old Testament, the prophets put their hope in, and Israel in general put their hope in um, Yahweh, the you know the God, um, and they had hope, but it was an expected hope for a Messiah. Right. And we're on the other side of that promise, so now we have a hope that God's going to restore all things. Um, so. In both the Old and the New, in the New Testament, you can point back and say and look at Jesus as the centerpiece of hope. So, you know, the um, Jesus is also described in Ephesians uh, two as the chief cornerstone of the church. So he is the solid foundation of the church, and without him, it's just sinking sand. So if you don't have your hope in Jesus, then ultimately, it's it's in in the long run, it might not work out for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I've, I put my hope in Jesus in the resurrection. Okay, that sounds good. And of course, obviously, I do the same. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're on the same page as it relates to that. But going back to something you had said earlier in the definition, and that really was, it's an assurance of something that's already been promised to us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you, your first, so Jesus obviously is one of those promises, right? It yes. Was, it was prophesied that there would be a Messiah, and Jesus mm-hmm. came, and he did everything that prophecy said he would do so he was a fulfillment of prophecy but was also a promise to us as well um, uh, th- through the voices of prophets and so um my other question is, what are some other assurances that you you're aware of in terms of you know that help you from that point of that point of view as well um well the fact that there is an ultimate meaning in life and that's grounded in god um you know the author of ecclesiastes king solomon he uh, put his hope in everything except except God, and he looked for the meaning of life 
side of God, and he ended up failing many times. You know, in the second verse of the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, he describes the, this feeling of emptiness as meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. That's what he says. He he had wealth beyond measure. He had wisdom beyond any man and, and hundreds of women, palaces, gardens, uh, the best food, the best wine, and every form of entertainment. But yeah, at the end of the day, he concluded that with all of that, then if you just um, limit life to what we can see and feel with our hands, then uh, it's meaningless at the end of the day. So he says in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has uh, made everything appropriate in its time and he has put eternity in our hearts. So so um, ultimately, without God, there's no meaning. Um, mm-hmm. But But with hope and with God, obviously, um, we have hope that that because of him we have a meaning in this world right 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 now that's really good um when you what i was thinking about it too is is just what you had said as some of the assurances of something that was has been promised you know there's other promises in the in the scriptures too you know that Mm. we read and and they are actually very specific to us as like these are called children of god that's a promise to us you know, yeah. um, and, and those are some things that I know that even help from a foundation of building your hope, you know, because it, 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 mm-hmm. it, I, I feel like hope has to kind of be built as well. Even though my hope is yeah. in Jesus, I actually have to fortify that hope by reminding myself of the promises within yeah. God's word. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like uh, trust as well. Yeah. So as you as you see god working in your life and you know he he validates what what he says in scripture then you can more and and more just trust him and then your hope in him increases as well yeah. uh, consequently um I, I like that you mentioned the uh, you become sons and daughters of, of god you know he you are adopted into his family um the same way is true in well like with a parent and their child you know, the way that the child knows that their parent will always keep them safe is because of past experiences that they've always kept them safe. Right. And so when, when we see God doing things for us in our lives, we can just have more confidence in him. And that hope, as you said, grows as well. Hmm. What happens when you forget about those experiences? When you forget about those experiences and, and you your eye is taking... I guess off of of God and what He's done, then perhaps you do what Israel did when they forgot what God had done for them. You start going towards idols and you start to reject God and abandon Him, um, and the hope that He has for you as well. So, yeah, no, and I, and I think that's a it's it's fun. And the reason I ask that question is specifically because I think right now. We're living in a time where we've got some crazy things going on in our world and, and it is very divisive it's right mm-hmm. now. And I'm not only talking about the world, but I even see divisiveness even within the church, right? Yeah. I mean, I see division that's been happening within um, those whose hope is built on Christ. And um, um, and I think some of it is is because we're, we're forgetting the eternal promises as well that come with mm-hmm. that. And so we're looking with a limited mindset because we're only seeing mm-hmm. what's in front of us and we're not capable of seeing, or at least because we've developed idols as it relates to 
Mm. What waits here and now where we've lost that eternal perspective, if you will, and that promise that comes with that. Mm. And part of that eternal perspective is that God is in control, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that the church sometimes loses sight about who ultimately wins in the end. We see the culture becoming more secular and and getting away from the church and you know certain policies and things politics in general getting away from from what scripture teaches i think that makes the uh, the church in general kind of having this us versus them mentality and uh, it's interesting that you point this out as well because i was um, i interviewed Dar- dr daryl bach this season on his book cultural engagement and he talks about about this idea that we have this us versus them mentality but we shouldn't have that because what what that is actually derived from is fear, fear of losing our religious freedom, fear of you know having some secular influence in the church come into the church or etc. So the fear is what produces this us versus them mentality. We have to make sure that you know our the church is you know um, what's what I'm looking for persevering or or winning, beating the other side, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And what that does also is it keeps us from actually seeing them as a person made in the image of God, and that creates us, that makes us not be able to love them the way that Christ would want us to as well. So that ultimately takes away the idea of hope for the church because we forget that in the end, uh, we're going to win. Like, we know what the end is. Like, it's written out for yeah, us. Yeah. Um, and I think that if we just go back to to the promises of God, that there is no force in the world that can take us from Him. You know that He who is greater, He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. If we actually believe that, then we won't have this us versus them mentality. We'll be able to lovingly invite them into our lives um, and show them the true teachings of Christ. Yeah, and you know. The, the Bible uses the term ambassadors, that we're ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5. And, yeah. um, and when we look at it as being ambassadors, one of the things I've always likened it to is actually being beacons of hope because we are a reflection of his image and who he is. And if Jesus is hope, then we should be reflections of that hope. Um, mm. And if the church is missed that mark, then we're not being the beacons of hope that we should be in a time when a world is looking for hope. Mm, you're right, and I love that you mentioned that because in Second Corinthians five, when Paul is talking about being ambassadors of Christ, he's talking about how we should um, extend a, a hand out to the world who doesn't know Christ, yeah, and say, "Be reconciled to God." We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because this is what He's done for you. But we can't do that if we're not loving them, and if we're just constantly making sure that they don't win or they don't. Uh, or like our kids don't hear their influence or something. If we're more worried about that than about showing them what the gospel's about, yeah, then we can miss the mark completely. It's it, and it, it is so true. And and again, it, um, the love aspect of all of that. How how would you see that? I mean, how do you right now as as Levi in a you know you're going through college? Granted, you're going to a school that's predominantly Christian kids and and students, um, but. Um, how do you try to be light and hope into in a, in a space where it's needed and, and continue to show that love? That's a good question. I think the biggest thing or the biggest misconception about love 
is that we should affirm the other person. But if you think about that for just two seconds, you'll realize that if we affirm what everything the other person does, that's not being loving at all. You don't affirm what your child wants because if you do, they'll probably end up dead. You know, love is standing in the way of evil and and showing people what what um, what is right, what is true objectively. And sometimes that 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 means saying, you know, I don't agree with this or I don't affirm this and. They say that it's unloving, but that comes from a wrong definition of what love is because it's not grounded in what God is, because God is love. So I think that the best way to answer your question would be to go back and see what what love truly is. I think that if you take the focus off of the disagreement and show where you can actually agree, then that creates a, a foundation of, hey, we agree, there's some commonality. And so maybe they'll be more inclined to listen to you on the things that you don't agree with them about. When you first establish that commonality, then that will get the person thinking that maybe you're not as against them as you're coming off to be. But I think, Levi, you missed one of the things, not that you missed, but one of the things that's what you're saying is so true and you need to get to that common ground. But in order to get to that common ground, you have to still understand their point of view. Yes, absolutely. You need to listen to the other person. Yeah. Um, so it's not affirming, but what you are doing is you're wanting to understand more yeah. from their point of view. Because rooted in the point of view is probably an answer that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if you actually entertain their ideas, that, that doesn't mean agree with it. That doesn't mean adopt it as your own. Exactly. But if exactly. you put yourself in the position where what would follow if I believed that? So let's say um, I believe that, I don't know, atheism is true, for example, okay? So let's say if I think atheism is true, that means obviously that, you know, um, we're nothing more than evolved primates. But if we're nothing more than evolved primates, then my thoughts aren't really my thoughts. They're just reactions of the atoms bouncing around in my head. Right. No? Um, and if that's true, then I don't have any control over anything that I do. So free will doesn't exist anymore. You, you see what I'm saying? If you yeah, adopt yeah. their worldview for just a second and see where they're coming from, and you follow the logic consistently, then you can better and hopefully lovingly and you know with kindness point out the the inconsistencies in what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Does that makes sense. I think, yeah, and I think what you're saying is you want to have a healthy dialogue, not a divisive yes. dialogue. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the one thing that I think a lot of people we we miss, and especially right now, again, some of the things that I have seen that lacks our ability or inhibits our ability to be hope is because we're wanting to too quickly just judge the situation without understanding the point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, absolutely. And so it, it's coming from a position of hey, I. Let me get on your side of the picture now and let me look at it from your perspective because I've never looked at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. But tying into what you said, you still have to have you you should be rooted in what you believe though because you can be led astray if you're not careful, right? Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean you have to have discernment, you have to be able to um, know what's true. The knowing Scripture is a big part of that because you'll, you'll know when things are disagreeing with Scripture, yep. and that's our first authority. Um, so, I, man, I, I forgot what I was going to say. I had something 
anyway, <laughs> let's just keep going, and then yeah, I'll remember no, it. No, 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 it's fine. Listen, you know, that's the one thing I love about podcasts is it's it's very dynamic, right? <laughs> right. I'm getting a, um, a I'm going to start taking notes just in case. Because well, if, if you're talking, I'll, I'm not going to forget it if I jot it down. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think one of the things, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because um, in in this in this world that we're living in right now, like I said, I'm, my biggest concern is really you hear globally a cry for unity in the world and yet the cry for unity really and the group that should look the most unified is still the most disunified right now and that is us as believers because um we're all wanting our voice to be heard yeah instead of actually stopping and listening and we all want to be right instead of looking at what possibly could be wrong. I mean, and the reason I say all that is because a lot of times it's not foundationally even built upon something. A lot of the visions have taken place over the course of time. And if you look at the church, it's got the most denominations. The Christian church has more denominations than I can count, right? Mm. And uh, and so you, you, and that all became a result of, um, of the splintering of our, com- uh, of what we believed, right? And, mm. and we lose sight of that going back to the centrality of of the gospel message which is jesus and him crucified and his resurrection right that that centrality of of that is the unifying um tool that we all need in place right is it's that Mm -hmm. message that we need to adhere to but yet Mm -hmm. we want to get divisive over little things and so even now the little things that we're getting divisive over are in the political world right uh, and and so one of the things I'm I honestly feel is that Christians have always felt, especially in America, that America is the church, and it's not the church. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's a country, yeah. and it and it's full of people, and some of them are Christians. Yes, was it founded on some traditional values that were founded in Scripture? Yes, um, and have we deviated and have we gone away from a lot of those things? Yes. I, um, but I can also show you in scripture where it said we do those things too. So, um, you know, and so how do I, again, and I'm raising all this because I'm wanting to hear your perspective, because as we're battling through these times and crises, I think the call to arms is really back to unity and being a beacon of hope is what what, what the call to arms is for us. as yeah. And that's one of the reasons for this podcast too, is I'm wanting us to see, you know, I've even invited people on this show that I don't necessarily agree with their their, their worldview, right? Um, mm. and, or I should say their view, because mine's a biblical worldview and theirs is, is a worldview. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I want to hear their point of view as it relates to that, because it gives me a better understanding of how I can be a beacon of hope in those situations. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. I think we do get a little too picky on the smaller disagreements and the smaller things that can cause divisions when they shouldn't be causing divisions. Uh, so I think there are hills to die on, and there are hills not to die on. Yeah, I think for the most part, most denominations, at least you know, when it comes to Baptists, um, Methodists, and people who hold to core Christian convictions. I think it's not really a, a really bad thing to have different denominations in general, in principle, oh, wow. because, yeah. you know, some things in my, I guess in my view, are 
somewhat preference-based, at least the secondary issues, such as how many times should we have the Lord's Supper, what does baptism look like, those types of things. Yeah. Um, if there's large numbers of people who want to do one of each, then it's okay to maybe split, but don't see yourselves as different entities or different identities in general. If you um, are saved through the resurrection of Christ, you are equally family of of God and and um, heirs of the kingdom of God or co-heirs. So, I think we need to stop getting so uh, caught up on the small issues, and just understand that you know, Jesus was a was. He said that, you know, if you believe in the one who he has sent, then you've done the will of God. So, um, I think if we understand that when people believe in Jesus and he causes a transformation in their lives then most of everything else is going to be secondary. So it's okay to have conversations about those things. It's okay to to disagree with people about those things, but it's not okay to then see them as an enemy. And that's the the key to it. It's okay to dialogue about it. It's okay to hear each other out, but you should go away from there shaking hands, giving hugs, and still seeing them as family because they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, uh, one of the things I've always firmly believed is even when it comes to theology is that theology is a study of God. That's what it stands for, right? It's theology and the study of God. My study of God is going to be based upon my experience of what I, because I, I take that word, I live that word and I've seen experiences as a result of living that word. Right. And so that helped form and shape my theology as it relates to that word. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and the dynamics of it is that it changes constantly too, because yeah, you know, I can go in there and read a piece of scripture that I read before and see a totally different thing that I didn't see before. Right. But it's Mm. because of where I'm at in my life too, that I see those things and I start to realize, and maybe it's the perspective of where I'm at in our world today that I'm seeing, well, you know, I can see how that plays in light of where I am today. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. again, so the theology of, and so we get wrapped up around individual theologies of people yeah. Instead of just saying, okay, Lord, allow me to learn and study who you are and make yourself real in my life so that yeah. I might be more like you in everything that I do. Not more like the guy that I read, but more mm. like you in everything I do. Yep. Yeah. I think I think you're right. I think people can come away from Scripture having a wrong idea about what that Scripture means, and that's going to lead them to have wrong ideas about maybe who God is in a certain aspect. But I also think that there are times when one person's right about this subject and another person's right about the subject but, but they disagree because one person's further along in their walk with Jesus than the other so their theology is deeper and i guess you can call it more broad and and more i mean they just have have experienced more they know more therefore their theology is going to be a little bit yeah. better in yeah. general so I don't think it's it's um I think we need to understand the difference between the two and when it's happening. So if I'm talking to a friend who 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 I'm disagreeing with, but I can realize okay, they they haven't experienced what it was that I experienced that led me to that or for example, like the interpretation of scripture in general. If yeah. you know how to interpret scripture right and understand that that scripture has objective meaning that it's not up to us to determine the meaning. It's already been determined then i mean if you both understand that then i think that y'all should come away having pretty good 
for the most part, agreements on what Scripture means about who God is. Mm -hmm. You might have some small disagreements on things that are more ambiguous. But in general, I think you're going to be okay. And I think that understanding that is a big... And understanding people and differences is a big... Um, a big thing that, that that we need to focus on, and just understanding that we're in different places in life, we're in different stages. So, yeah, yeah. gracious, and, 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 and exactly. And I think the last part there says, "and show grace," right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, hey, even even in First Peter three, he said, and this is the most famous apologetics verse: "Always give a reason for the defense that you have, yep. um, for the hope that you have, and this is hope." So, I think in general, when we give a defense to a reason. As Christians, we should always do this with uh, gentleness and respect because uh, Peter closes that verse by saying, do this with gentleness and respect. If we miss that, then we have not uh, properly um, spoken about God, yeah. you know, yeah. and we have misrepresented him completely. So, and with that being said, always give a reason, right? For, mm -hmm. And with the re and uh, when I look at the word reason, uh, from a scriptural perspective, I see it also always give a reason, give an example of why you believe what you believe. That's mm. what the reason is. Give an example of why you believe what you believe. Mm. I can go back through my time in life and I can see those points in life of God's hand in my life that helped shape where I am today and my, and my thinking yeah. as it relates to my hope. You know, and I share these stories because, and then, and then that becomes my testimony Mm -hmm. that I'm able to share with other people. So it's not, not me just telling them because the Bible tells me so, but it's because I've seen it so mm -hmm. in my life. And I, and I, because we are woven into the story of God, right? I mean, the story hasn't ended. It's still unfolding. It's still coming about. We are woven into that story and, uh, and we play a part in all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, sharing our experiences and our testimony is a, a big thing when it comes to touching, showing people how, how the gospel um, plays out in real life. Um, when we point to just the Bible, it's not a bad thing at all. Yeah. But somebody who doesn't believe in the Word of God, that it is from God, isn't going to take that very serious. You know, we don't believe in the Quran, you know, the, the, the um, sacred text for Islam. So if a Muslim tries to use the Quran to tell you why it's true, you won't get very far because you don't believe it's true. Right. So when we when we use just the Bible with somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible, we're not going to get very far. No. Um, so we need to bring in some other things as well and then point to the Bible and say, the Bible agrees with these. Yeah. So that's why it's true. It's not true because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's true. Yeah. And those are two very different ways of talking about things. It's it's um, showing them how the real world is, and they'll agree with you if, you know, of course you're right, and then pointing to Scripture and saying, Scripture always also agrees with this. And they'll go, ah, so there is some truth in Scripture. Maybe I should check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good idea. It's a good thought. I appreciate that. So let me ask you, how do you go about trying to bring hope into the dark spaces that you're living in right now? I know you kind of mentioned a little bit, but we expanded that a little bit more now in terms of our thinking. Do you, yeah. Do you, uh, what are some of the interactions that you have, right? Even right now, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of things, you know, and you know that even within the the, the church, there's the debates over things, you know. Um, 
over policies, over uh, positions as it relates to policies, and, mm-hmm. and uh, what are how are you bringing hope into those into those conversations? Well, within the church, I I try to exemplify what it looks like to not get so caught up on the small stuff. Yeah. Um, and when I try to say, oh, that's not as big of a deal as you may think, somebody might raise an eyebrow at me, and then I'll explain why. And that will create the, the the opportunity for me to talk about, you know, how the church can sometimes get caught up in the wrong issues. Um, there are some issues that, that need to be settled, but they can wait because there are much greater issues. You know, I mean, if you have somebody who who um, is about to die of, of a heart attack on your table, you're not going to go fix somebody who just scraped their knee. Right. Right. So when we have an issue that is gospel-centered in the church and it's about to split the church and, you know, become a heresy, we need to deal with that before we deal about what color the carpet is in the church, you know, um, or if we need a new carpet, whatever. But anyway, my, my point is we need to just prioritize our issues in light of the gospel and in light of how Jesus prioritized his teachings, um, you know, he said that, well, I'll say it again, you know, if you... Guy asked him, I forget where the text is. He says, uh, what is the will of God? Or or what should I do to, to do the will of God? And he said, this is the will of God, that you believe in the one who he has sent. So yeah, believe in yeah. Jesus. If we're deviating from that, well, we, we instantly need to go to that first. If they're not believing in Jesus, we need to uh, address it lovingly, graciously, with, with uh, gentleness and respect, but also with truth. Mm-hmm. And just show them the true teachings of Scripture. Of course, at the end of the day, People have to make their own decisions, um, but we cannot let it split, you know, the body of Christ. And ultimately, it won't because the gospel is that upon which the church was built on. And as Jesus said, the the gates of hell would, would not prevail. Um, and so, sorry about that. And so, in the end, we, uh, God and 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 His people do have the victory, but we do need to do what we can to bring as many people into His kingdom as possible. And that comes by. Um, making the gospel the first priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Let me ask you another question. Is just where have you, in the course of your life, where has your hope been challenged, or maybe where you faced a, where you felt a little hopeless, and how did you, hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so from about ninth grade to when I graduated in high school, I. I ran from God. I ran from my faith, um, and I was involved in the typical teenage stuff, you know, that is very stereotypical. You can imagine, I think, to like the tenth degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But God, in His just graciousness, I don't deserve it, but He He rescued me from it. He gave me a lot of redemption, and it led me to go to the school and this great these great people that I have. Man, I couldn't even tell you what God's done, but but I felt hopeless when, you know, I was talking about Ecclesiastes earlier, and I put my identity in girls and things rather than rather than Christ. Right. You know, I I wanted to uh, get what I wanted when I wanted it, and how much I wanted, it. and that's just how I was. And um, I remember at, at the end. At the end of the day, like the week before, I actually came back to God and was like, really honest, 
I I really felt hopeless be, because um, a lot had been found out about me by people that my, my parents. <laughs> yeah. And so you can imagine, like, my whole world came crashing down in, like, a day, and it was pretty scary. Um, so I just felt hope, like I hit rock bottom, you know. Yeah. With Christ, there is no rock bottom, no. you know, um, because he's a solid rock. And and you're not going to fall. And when you and and when you stumble, he will catch you. Yeah. That yeah. that's the beauty of the gospel is that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it out into the day of completion. And and that's what we got to keep in mind is that there, no matter no matter how far you go, um, God's going to do what he can to call you back to himself and show you that in him there is hope. And I didn't find hope in nothing else except him. Um, and I experienced that firsthand. So, so I can relate to what Ecclesiastes says there because it's true, and I'm sure anybody who's over forty can too because most of y'all have tried it. Yeah. <laughs> what about were you raised obviously in a Christian home then? Is um, yes and no. My my biological father was um, got saved about when I was three, but I lived and had my mom had custody of me, and she, and that was not a very Christian home in general. Um, I was abused for uh, physically abused by my stepdad for probably six, seven years, um, from three or four until the end of fifth grade. And I would go visit my dad, and it was a complete different world. Like my dad was—I mean, he was actually—he was pursuing Christ with his whole heart, and I saw that in him, and it—it it, it did a—it was the foundation of my faith. Right. Um, but I was technically raised with my mom during that stage of my life. During high school, I was raised, uh, I moved in, in with my dad. So I was raised in the latter part of my childhood with my dad in the Christian home. Yeah. How did you mm -hmm. um, overcome some of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the the suffering of the abuse, the physical abuse that you did? Um, because, again, a lot of people right now will, that have gone through physical abuse, that's one of their biggest deterrents from God is because how could a God allow something like that happen to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how did you kind of overcome that? Sorry. That's okay. Um, so this is like a moral question talking about how can God allow such evil in the world if if he's good, if he's loving. This seems to contradict. And so I think the best way to answer this is like this. God allows suffering because he's a God who allows free will. And if he did not allow suffering, if he said that there would be no suffering in this world, that would mean that we didn't, we wouldn't have a choice to do evil. So the only way that God can allow us to have free will is if there's an opportunity for us to do evil to one another. Mm. And the only way that we can love one another is by having free will. You cannot force somebody to love you. If you do, that is not really love. To love, you must have free will, but that also creates opportunity for people to sin and do evil. But I, I would also say that, you know, it's um, it's interesting, and I'm not to anybody who has been abused, and I'm, I'm I'm one of you, so don't take this as being insensitive. But it's the truth of our humanity, is that whenever we talk about how could God do this, we always think about evil that somebody else does, and not the evil that we do. Because we sin every day against God too, and and God lovingly sent His Son to 
to redeem us and forgive us just as much as the person who abused me. Mm-hmm. That's what gave me the the ability to forgive him, is to know that the God who forgave me also wants to forgive him. I should forgive him as an extension of that. You know? So, um, so that was one of my things that I was looking for and what you said is that you had to get to a place in your life where you could forgive him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And as a result of that, being able to forgive them, there's a releasing that happens in your own life. I bet one of the mm. things I've, uh, I've always told people and something I've read along the way, I don't know who it was from, but it basically um, bitterness or hatred or uh, anger is the poison you drink hoping the other person dies. Mm. That's why forgiveness is such a big thing. Mm. Forgiveness is the antidote of that yeah, poison. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. So, so yeah, and, and 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 that's the one thing too is again it is really to find that hope when you find forgiveness for yourself, you realize like you said, it's a natural extension to offer it to others. Mm-hmm. You know, and absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I, I really appreciate uh Levi uh, your words of wisdom and your, your thoughts. Uh <laughs> I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and I'm really glad you got to be a part of the show today. Um I would encourage everybody, if, uh, and I'm going to put this in the show notes, but if you're interested in uh, listening to uh, Defending Christianity, which is the Levi's podcast, then uh, like I said, that will be in the show notes. But Levi, I appreciate everything you've had to say today, and I really uh, enjoyed our conversation. And, uh, you know, for all of our listeners, continue to um, be hopeful because there's a lot to be hopeful for, and uh, especially if it's in Jesus. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, and I wish all the best to you and your ministry as well. All right. Thank you so much, man.